When you're in the middle of a storm, a real bad one, and you want and you often think, you go, it cannot get any worse. But yet it does. But it can. Take a rainstorm. Water begins to drip from the ceiling. First in little drops, then in streams. Well, when the little drops start, you, you go and grab something from the cupboard or from the, the cupboard. You grab any pot that you can. You put it in the, on the floor, on the tables, on your bed. And it begins to drip. And it begins to go in a stream. And then, and then the power goes out. Well, you go and get the flashlights. Flashlights were invented, kids, before cell phones. You get the flashlight out. You get the, the batteries, but then the battery goes dead. Then you get your cell phone. Okay, I, I am, I'm kind of modern. You turn the flashlight out on the cell phone, and then the cell phone goes dead because the power's out. And then the roof caves in. Can't get any worse, right? If it goes on long enough, you begin to think that there is little to no hope. You cannot get this done. It's just not, how in the world can I make it through this? You go from being Tigger from the Winnie the Pooh. You know Tigger, right? That guy that goes like this. Crazy, 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 jumping all over the place to where you end up being Eeyore. Oh, woe is me. And every one of us have been there. Well, the storm I just mentioned is minuscule compared to the very real and dark situation that John, the writer of Revelation, had just witnessed. Sorry, I'm bouncing around here with this. As you have been with us, if you've been with us, you understand that we've begun to see Jesus, the Lamb, the Lamb of God, Unroll the scrolls. Unroll the scroll. He's breaking the seals. And we've seen Jesus do it because he's the only one who can. He's the only one who is able to be able to do this. He's the only one who is big enough, high enough, strong enough, good enough to be able to take the title deed of the earth and open it up. And because only he, the lamb standing as though he had been slain, signifying by his actions, the lamb who had been slain, what we celebrated this morning in the Lord's Supper, living a perfect life, dying a sacrificial, perfect death for the sins of the world, and then rising again from the dead, showing that he had conquered sin, death, and the devil. Only he had the right to take back what had been usurped by Satan. And in Revelation 6, we saw the Lamb begin to open the scroll, one seal at a time, one thing at a time. Each seal... God unleashing judgment upon the world. I know this is hard to hear. 
It's even going to be hard to see. And finally, at the end of the sixth seal, those who stubbornly rebelled, instead of calling out to God, instead of, God save me, they called out, mountains, rocks, fall on me. Hide me from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come. And then the question, and who can stand? Who can stand? Who can stand when the storm that is coming will be worse than what they've experienced? Who can stand? Well, God being merciful to both John and his hearers and his readers gave John what is called, what I'm calling the interlude. It's a parenthesis. It's between what John sees, what's happening, in between the sixth and the seventh seal. In between the sixth seal, what we've seen happen, the first part of the tribulation, and the seventh seal, which encompasses the rest of the book. The interlude. And what's he see? John is able to witness two groups of people who would answer the question that was raised in, cha in chapter 6. It's answered, who can stand? And we see a picture of who will stand. Those who turned to and trusted God. These people, these groups of people, the Lord, they've turned to the Lord even during the judgments. These are people we'll see today who have turned during the first six seals. And we see that God's mercifully at work, even saving those, saving an uncountable amount of souls during a time of the end. Would you bow your head with me, please? Father, we, we come to you this morning expectantly looking for a word from you. And Lord God, we ask you that you show us by your spirit the reality of what is to take place and the reality of you working during this time. Even when there is judgment, you're able to be found. And may we understand this, and may we turn to you before judgment begins. May we soberly look at this today. I pray this in the Lamb's name. Amen. Well, as we witness the interlude between seals 6 and 7, John sees two groups of people, two different types of people. First on the earth, the second group in heaven. One that is countable and one that is innumerable. One are Jews 
and the other group, Gentiles. Each people of God. Well, let's read the first verse of chapter 7. I believe it's on the screen. It's found in Revelation chapter 7 in your Bibles. And turn to it if you have a Bible. Revelation chapter 7, verse 1. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. After this simply means this. After the first six seals have taken place. After this, this is what's happening. And I've argued that the first half of the seven years, this is speaking of the first half of the tribulation. The first six seals encompass the first half of the seven-year tribulation, also known as Daniel's 70th week. And I believe that this time begins after the universal church has been taken to heaven, which is what's called the rapture, which is called the snatching away. And we find that in 1 Thessalonians, also in Revelation 3.10. Now remember, we have to remember this. Christians are no longer under God's wrath. Why is that? Because the Lord Jesus took the wrath, the just wrath of the Father upon the cross. That's what happened in those three hours of darkness. Three hours of darkness when Christ suffered what we should have suffered. Nevertheless, John sees four angels standing at the four corners of the earth. Now, before you think that John's a flat earther, he's not talking about that. It's a figure of speech, all right? It's the same thing as we would say, it's from the north, south, east, and the west. It's encompassing, what do you mean? It's encompassing the whole world. And these angels are pictured holding back the wind. Now, when's the last time you've ever had been able to put wind in your hand? I don't think that happens, does it? No, it doesn't. But they're holding back the four winds. Do we understand that God controls the weather? He does. And that's why it's important that we pray for rain. But God controls the weather. He controls the forces of nature. Now think of this. Think of this. A time when there is no wind on the earth, no breeze, no cooling breeze. Can you imagine the smog? Can you imagine the clean energy people with their windmills not moving? What's going to happen? Well, we'll soon find out next week. Total stillness. We do understand, right, that that's as, as unnerving as a storm. Where's the wind? It's been here all my life. Well, it's not here now. The wind also represents destructive forces waiting to be unleashed. The winds of change, the winds of war. But because of what we'll cover next week in chapter 8, when we begin the trumpet judgments, I believe that this is literal. 
No wind. Let's pick up the passage in verse 2. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun. Another angel meaning like the others. Some people think this is Christ. No, this is not Christ. This is like the other angels coming from the east. All right, that's where the sun rises, right? It's over there. From where John was at, the east was from Israel. So it's coming from the Holy Land. From the neighborhood of Israel, with the seal of the living God. What then is a seal? Because John's been watching Christ open these things up. Well, the seal in this context means it indicates ownership. It's a seal of ownership. Also, it signifies that something is genuine. Think of it as, a, as wax, when somebody takes wax and they take a signet ring and they put it on there on a melted, and they make an imprint. It's a seal of approval. And these people, these people that John is talking about, they have a seal. And we'll see that it's put on their foreheads. And this particular seal belongs to God. It's God's seal. It's not some king's seal, not any normal king's seal. This is the king of the universe seal. Do you know that if you're a Christian, that you have been sealed? I know that we've probably read these things before, but this comes to, you are sealed. This truth is found in the epistles. In Ephesians 1, it says, in him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed by the promised Holy Spirit. You were sealed. Who is the guarantee of your inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Back to Revelation 7-2. And he called out with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm earth and sea, saying... Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. Now, this group of people being marked, set apart, or much like the faithful believers in, takes us back to Ezekiel 9, when the Babylonians were outside of, of Jerusalem, ready to come in, ready to, to breach the walls. And God did the same thing with the with the faithful there, he told his angels, go seal these people who are mine. And those who weren't sealed were destroyed. And it says that God sent his destroyer to do it. A commentator writes, they will be protected from the judgments that will hurt the earth and the sea, which occur when the first angels blow their trumpets. The judgments are intensified when the horrible locusts are released from the pit. Protected from these awesome judgments, the 144,000 will be able to do their work and glorify the Lord. Well, speaking of Marks, We'll see in chapter 13 that Satan has his own mark. It's 
called the mark of the beast. I know we've heard many things about it. Just know that it is a mark. He steals God's ideas. Church, if you're marked by the Lord, have peace. But if you're not marked, is the seal visible? We don't know. We honestly do not know. The seal that you have isn't visible, is it? Or is it? The way you live? How do you live before those who are not gods? But if the seal isn't a mark, it doesn't make it less, it isn't marked, it doesn't make it less real, does it? But our seals, our lives, and our actions need to reflect those or he who owns us. Do people understand that you're one of God's? Or is it hidden? Is your light hidden under a bushel? Or is it shining? Is your light shining? Well, it will become very obvious who they serve. Well, who are these people? And how many are they? John tells us what he hears. I like it. This guy just, he is a reporter. And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. These are Messianic Jewish believers. Why do I say that? Because that's what it says. That's what it says. The Jewish believers have come to faith during the beginning of the tribulation. We will see that these Christ followers will boldly proclaim God's words in ways that will bear much fruit. These men and women will be super evangelists. Super evangelists. Can you imagine 144,000 Apostle Pauls roaming the earth? Wow. And I believe that these people, these folks, will accomplish the majority of what Jesus prophesied about during his time right before the end. In Matthew 24, Jesus was quoted. He said, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Well, here's a list of the sons of Israel. 12,000 from the tribe of Judah were sealed. 12,000 from the tribe of Reuben. 12,000 from the tribe of Gad. 12,000 from the tribe of Asher. 12,000 from the tribe of Naphtali. 12,000 from the tribe of Manasseh. 12,000 from the tribe of Simeon. 12,000 from the tribe of Levi. 12,000 from the tribe of Ishakar, 12,000 from the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000 from the tribe of Joseph, 
12,000 from the tribe of Benjamin were sealed. Now, some facts that you're probably going to get confused with because I tried not even to confuse myself, but I think you need to know these. Facts about the 12 tribes and this particular list. Well, who are the 12 tribes? They're the sons of Israel, the sons of Jacob. God changed Jacob's name after he wrestled with him in Genesis 32. And God's, Jacob wrestled with him all night, and God said, your name will no longer be Jacob, it will be Israel. These sons came from four different women. Two sisters, Leah and Rachel, and their respective handmaidens, Billah and Zilpha, who they gave to Jacob as wives. A functional family they were not. I have no words. All right. Often included in this list are the half-tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh. All right, so who are these guys? These are Joseph's sons. Joseph's sons, they're called the half-tribes. They're Joseph's sons who were born to him when he was in Egypt, away from Jacob. When he was away, when they thought he was dead. These are the half-tribes. They're Joseph's son. They were put in, they're often put in place of Joseph when the 12 tribes are named elsewhere. I'm only telling you this because in the Old Testament, they're named, and many times the list is different. They're always talking about the sons of Jacob, Israel, but the names are different in different ways. Levi is often left off the list of the Old Testament. Why? Because he didn't have a land promise. Levi was the priestly tribe. But when the, the promise of the land is given, Levi's left out. So that's that one. So if I've totally confused you, if I've not done that le yet, let me explain the difficulties with this list that John wrote down. And these are from a skeptic, skeptic's perspective. You're going, okay, I want you to be able to answer a question. Well, why is this different? Well, this is why it's different. Why is Judah first? That's the, that's the first one. Why is Judah first? Because when we know Reuben is first, right? Reuben, Reuben was born first. Well, who comes from the tribe of Judah? Jesus. So John had to put him number one. All right, so Judah's first. Second, the inclusion of Levi, the priestly line. Levi's often, most of the time, left out. Well, there's no land promise here. So Levi's put in. Third, the inclusion of Joseph instead of Ephraim. And this, this list may include Ephraim because, or not include, exclude Ephraim because of their idolatry. This was the first tribe who forsook the Lord. Joseph represented both Ephraim and Manasseh. Fourth, is the exclusion of the tribe of Dan. Why'd you have to exclude that name? Well, this is the reason. The early church fathers, Irenaeus and Hippolytus, 
identified Dan as the man of sin, meaning that the Antichrist possibly comes from this tribe. The genealogy in 1 Chronicles 2 also ignores Dan. As with Ephraim, and I think this is the real reason, Dan's exclusion might be due to his idolatry. Remember the two golden calves that were set up right after the, the, uh, the kingdom was broken in two? My wife and I saw this spot when we went to Israel. This is where they worship two golden calves instead of Yahweh. However, God's grace still abounds when God restores the inheritance for both Dan and Ephraim during the millennial kingdom. And because of these problems slash difficulties, some have said that this, this list of tribes equates to it being spiritualized. Right? So some people would say, well, this is a spiritual list. This is encompassing the entire church. Meaning that the church is being spoken of instead of the actual descendants of Jacob. And this is your theological thing that you might want to write down so you can stand, sound impressive. This belief is what is called supersessionism, meaning that the church has replaced Israel in God's, as the people of God. And those who believe this way see God as removing his promises to Israel and giving them to the church. Another reason that some believe the list is spiritual are because the genealogical, genealogical come on, Danny, genealogical records were destroyed when Rome destroyed Jerusalem and the temple in 70 AD. So no one knows who the real Israelites are from or what tribe they come from. I have two quick answers to, this reject, to these objections. First, concerning lost genealogies. God knows, period, end of story. God knows everything. He knows who his people are. Debbie, he knows what tribe you come from. You don't have to worry about that. Second, concerning Israel no longer being, having the promises given to them. God keeps his promises every single time. So when God says, I will give you a land, he will give you a land. Period. Yahweh made specific promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he is not done with the nation of Israel. He will have a remnant of his people that will again live in the land. God is not done with Israel. Romans chapter 9 through 11 speak clearly to this. In fact, that is one of the reasons why the tribulation, he is refining his people Israel during this whole entire time so he will have a remnant that comes to him. As to the number 144,000 being spiritualized or literal, remember, not all numbers in Revelation are, are symbolic. 
There are seven churches, seven literal churches on that postal route in Asia Minor. Warren Wiersbe is succinct and helpful, and I'll quote him. The number 144,000 is significant because it signifies perfection and completeness. Yes, it does. 12 times 12 is 144 times 1,000. Some people see here completeness in, in all of God's people. The 12 tribes of Israel, the Old Testament saints, and the 12 apostles, the New Testament saints. This may be a great application, but it's not the basic interpretation. It's not what it says. For we are told that these 144,000 are all Jews and even their tribes are named. Close quote. So the first group that will stand, be sealed, and deliver the gospel message to the great, in the Great Tribulation are the 144,000 Jews. That group can stand. The next group of God's people are the souls from every nation. And again, God sees a different vision of a different group, except John, except, pardon me, sees a different vision of a different group. As I read, see if you can pick out the differences. After this I looked, and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. Well, what are the differences? You see them there. What are the differences? A great multitude that no one could number. The first group. We could number them, right? 144,000 people. The second group, from every nation. The first group, ethnic Jews. This group that John is speaking of now, they're before the throne, they're in heaven. The other group, on earth clothed in white robes like the souls under the altar in chapter 6 that had been slain for the word of God and the witness that they had borne. With palm branches in their hands signifying victory, they'd won. They were finished. Their work was through. Overcomers who had paid with their lives for standing up for Jesus. And the question that we heard at the beginning. Who is able to stand? Who is able to stand? The 144,000 that were sealed because they're sealed by God and these souls. Verse 10 says, And crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Sounds like a good song, doesn't it? Hear this, they didn't acquire their salvation by dying. No, it's all God and the Lamb and what they've accomplished. But they did prove their belief was genuine. They proved their belief was genuine with their lives. They gave all for the one who gave everything for them. They were sealed not only for a short time, but for sealed for eternity eternity. And once again, heaven erupts in the worship with seven, a sevenfold anthem. 
they sang, and all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Now think of this. If angels praise God and sing for one sinner repenting, how about an entire multitude? These folks, folks, they're not folks, they're beings. These beings are just excited. All of creation giving the one sitting on the throne and the Lamb honor. Why this time? I mean, if we have to pick and choose, okay, is it because you're great here, great here because of your creation? That's what they sang about in chapters 5 and 6. It was because of the creation. What are they singing about here? It's because, exactly, they're singing. They're saying these things because of the final victory of the redeemed. Praise God. Praise God. Well, John must have had a perplexed look on his old wrinkled face. I don't know if he was looking sideways. You know, I don't know if he was squinting, you know, lifting his eyelids up, trying to see what's, who are these people and what are they? And the old fisherman was asked a question to explain what he and we needed to know. He said in verse 13, he didn't say, one of the elders said this. Then one of the elders addressed me saying, who are these clothed, clothed in white robes and from where have they come? Now, if they'd come from the Old Testament, John would have known all about them because he could have figured this out. I mean, all right, the, they're not from the Old Testament. If they'd come from the church, he would have known about that because he was still alive and he was one of the main people, the main leaders of the church. He would have recognized them. No, these are, these are special people. And he said, sir, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. These are people who have come to Christ after the rapture of the church and have since believed and trusted in what the Lamb has accomplished. What had the Lamb accomplished? We can't hear this often enough. What had the Lamb accomplished? He brought reconciliation between God and sinners. Reconciled. Able to stand before God. The majority of these have sealed their testimony with their own blood. Again, they didn't, they didn't attain salvation because they died. They died because of their salvation. They chose. I guess we would think of the Columbine incident when the boy held the gun to the girl's head and said, are you a Christian? And she said, yes. During this time, 
Speaking of the, the tribulation, we're told that mankind will be forced to either worship the beast or die. You'll either worship the beast, you'll have his mark, or you will not be able to buy or sell. And many will be beheaded. And most will be killed. But it's Christ's blood. It's Christ's blood who has provided the white robes to be able to stand before the throne and worship. And it's through Christ's blood that they have been given new and eternal life. It's how they are able to stand, church. It's how you are able to stand. It's the only way that anyone can stand. They're not alone. It's only through the Lamb's sacrifice that you can be made right with God. And I have to ask you, I keep asking you because I don't want anyone to be left behind. I don't want anyone to face this. I don't want anyone to face the wrath of the Lamb. Have you been saved? Have you trusted Christ and what he's done? Have you been washed clean by the blood of the Lamb? The last words of this chapter are words of comfort and hope. And even though they'd been killed and suffered terribly, they'd paid a price that most of us can only imagine. They're in a place that's special as they await their resurrection body. Verse 15 and following. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. I believe that believers from every age are similar to these. Do all die for their faith? No, they don't. But we are called to die to ourselves, are we not? We die to ourselves and live to Christ. We all trust in God's provisions. I want to finish today by looking at what is said of this great multitude and compare it to how we might compare it. How can I, how can I look at this and see maybe me in this? First, the innumerable group were accepted. They were accepted. They stood before the one on the, th on the throne and the Lamb. They had been rejected on earth. They had been rejected on earth and stood for the truth of God's word when Satan and his ideals are the norm. They stood against societal norms. Why? Because Christ called them to love their enemies. They chose to obey 
Church, when we follow Christ faithfully, Christ promised you will have persecution. We too will be rejected and persecuted if we follow Christ fully. I'm not talking a moral majority following, okay? I'm not talking that. I'm talking you're following Christ and you love and you stand for him and you choose to do what he tells you to do. Don't fear, church. Jesus is overcome as do the souls of Revelation 7, and so will we. Second, they were joyful. They sang and served him continually, and they were joined by all who had surrounded the throne. And if you are in Christ, you will be a part of that multitude, so to speak. We won't be a part of this multitude, but we will be a part of the multitude when we all come to heaven. Third, they're rewarded. Wearsby writes this, they had the privilege of being before God's throne and of serving him. When God's people get to heaven, there will be work to do. We shall be able to serve him perfectly. Close quote. We're going to work in heaven. No retirement, folks. It's not happening. The vacation will be because we're with Christ. What an awesome time. Fourth, the lamb was their shepherd. What kind of paradox is that? The lamb is the shepherd? The lamb? Yes, the lamb. Listen as I read this familiar poem. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. For his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It sounds a lot like the promise that these were given. And lastly, not only will the Lamb provide for our physical needs, but God will take care of those emotional needs as well. Every tear will be gone. Every tear. Some folks say, will there be tears in heaven? I don't I can't answer that because it's such an awesome place. But what this is saying is the effects of, the pressures of life are gone, and God is there, and the Father wipes everything away. What a promise awaits those who love him, and the promises are for every ethnicity, 
No room for racism. Every ethnicity. And both male and female, no room for sexism. I ask you, if you have never trusted the Savior, why wait? For those I look at right now, I've, I'm, I'm assuming that you've done that, but I don't want to assume anything. To those within the sound of my voice, online or on video, I don't want to assume anything. I know what you might be thinking if you've played the game. I don't want to stand up and embarrass myself. What, what would those people think? I've, I've played the game for many years. I don't care what they think. They're going to rejoice. Come to him. If you have trusted him, don't keep it to yourself. Go tell others. Let others know the good news that Jesus saves. they too can be delivered from the wrath that is coming. Lord, I ask you, by your Spirit, Give us hope. Give us courage. And give us boldness. As we see who can stand, we see in the future the 144,000, and we see the innumerable group that will be before your throne praising you. Lord God, they have done that through the work of your Son. May we trust that. May we believe that. May we live that. And may it change us. Lord God, again, if there is someone within the sound of my voice that has not turned to you and accepted your free gift of life, of forgiveness of sins, and eternal life that lasts forever, may they come to you. May they forsake their own way and turn to you. Lord, thank you for what you have provided. Thank you that you enable us to stand 
through the blood of the Lamb. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.